0: You're listening to the John Stapleton podcast. Uh, what do you do with like the miraculous stories in the Bible that are hard to believe, such as the flood narrative?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we did kind of talk about this, but yeah, like I it's mean, like fact or fiction? Yeah. Why not? You know, let's 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 discuss about Noah. Okay. <laughs> um, so I mean, the story. Of, Genesis one through eleven, obviously, genre is important. Um, the work of William Lane Craig, I've been reading recently. I've mentioned him several times already, in the book Quest for the Historical Adam. And he dedicates about four or five chapters to figuring out what the genre of Genesis one through eleven is, and um, he uses the 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 term mytho history, but not he uses the word mytho history, um, explaining that there's this mythological aspect, but there's also this historical aspect. Um, but he's not using mythological in the sense that we normally use it. He's using it in a folklorist, in a folkloristic uh, sense that it's like these narratives that are um, believed to be true, written, uh, have come about within a culture that are larger for a ritualistic means or cultish means. Um, it's this cultural literature that is believed to be true um, and that it is, is communicated to be true, but maybe in metaphorical guise. Um, so, I so, mean,
0: would, okay. So I, I, would this be like the matrix? Or or Animal Farm, where it's like, it, it, it's a story, it's a universe, it's a separate story, separate universe, separate characters. None of it's real, it's fiction. Mm-hmm. But the story that it's telling is representing something that is true and is historical. Mm-hmm. Or, or would you say that it uses the elements of, and I'm verbal processing, would you say yeah. it, it uses the elements of what would be a myth yeah to tell a true story
1: yeah i that's a great question um not for sure, but i think um the idea that um obviously myths are narrative, whether oral or literary um yeah and they come up they're they're traditional narratives they're traditional sacred narratives um so yeah i mean obviously there's there's so much more to to research on that but I was just, I was giving his research as an example for somebody tackling this, um, kind of weird genre of the Bible and, you know, um, diagnosing it as mytho-history, um, which is really interesting. And he uses that. He doesn't, it's not that he's like neglecting the, um, the, you know, the, the divineness of scripture, or the inspiration of scripture. I think he, I think in one sense his, his motives to be faithful to the context, which I think is really really neat. Um but
0: one, I, one thing though that that's a little a little concerning about that mm-hmm. is like right now I'm thinking about the apocrypha. Yeah. Which is historical but also like God didn't speak in those books. And mm-hmm. there are some mythological aspects to those books. Yeah. part of why it didn't make it into our canon.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think the one of the ways that I was understanding when I was reading was that we have as western christians we have this idea of um myth already stuck in our our mind that it's it's synonymous with with falsehood. Yeah. And William Lane Craig is is really adamant that it's it's that's it has too much baggage that we claim to it as yeah, it yeah. kind
0: of reminds me of what C.S. Lewis said, like, or no, I think it was Tolkien said it to C.S. Lewis, like, "This is a story that's true."
1: Yeah, yeah. Or this I, is
0: a myth that's true. I think he actually used the word myth. Yeah, it,
1: it, it's it's a really interesting topic of discussion, and I think the the expertise is is definitely outside of my wheelhouse, but I've definitely been introduced to it, which is just it's so fascinating the idea of looking at narratives like Genesis one through eleven. And seeing, okay, how do they fit in their cultural context? Especially Noah's flood. Yeah. Um, I think
0: and it's crazy that like all the Middle Eastern neighbors have a diluvian story.
1: Yes, and and I think that itself is evidence that there 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 must be something in the far far past that was necessary, or was um, was thought to be written down, or not thought to be written down, but like that this there there was this event that sparked something in literature. That all cultures, are, like almost they have, unanimously like their agree, own yeah. Effort. So that so there must be some sort of true historical event that happened, yeah. and um, so that, that like there's the historical aspect, but then there's also that mythological aspect because the the comparison between Genesis one through eleven with with other mythological stories and myth, like myth, just in the Greek just really means story. Yeah, it's really all it means. The these connection with especially Genesis one through 11 with like other creation myths or flood myths, or even just, just like, like um, primeval human stories they're They have a lot of similarities, but obviously Genesis one through 11 is different. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have to look at like the flood narrative and obviously think like, okay, what's the evidence for a, a universal flood? What's the evidence for a local flood? What's, how do we reconcile modern geological data scientific data anthropological data with the biblical narrative and it's just a really tricky yeah. thing to, to to think about
0: yeah and you know we do our best because none of us were there yeah um, but you know the, and just one more thing on that like one thing that captivates my imagination and I might actually just do a deep dive one day uh, is uh, like the giants yeah the Genesis Nephilim 6 yeah where we talk about the descendants of the Anakim <laughs> Um, how the giants came down and and made it with women and uh or sorry, the sons of God came down, made it with the the sons of, of the daughters of man, and then they bore the giants. Um, and it's it's and, and these are called the men of renown. Yeah. And then you you switch over to like you know Greek mythology, and you, there are these uh, stories of Zeus and all these different quote unquote gods. Yeah, uh, which is interesting. Paul will later say, um, you know, they're not gods at all. They're actually like demons. Yeah. Which if we if we take him seriously, um these are the sons of God from Genesis six. And this is another culture's retelling of the same of Genesis six. Mm-hmm. Um and, and so like before I, I used to be like, oh, yeah, Greek mythology, it's all just nothing. But now Mike, like, you know, it's very possible that these demonic, uh, that these spiritual realities manifested themselves in a different way to a mm-hmm. different culture. Yeah. And they wrote about it.
1: Yeah. And I think it would be helpful to, especially with the Noah, the Noah narrative, um, either looking at it as metaphorical with, you know, illustrating the truth element or even just as a literal story. What is at stake here? Um, I think uh, Jesus mentions Noah, and Peter mentions Noah. The author of Hebrews mentions Noah.
0: Isn't it crazy that Jesus mentions the parts of the Bible that people are the most skeptical about? Yes,
1: and that gives a plausible identification that Jesus, Peter, and the author, whoever the author of Hebrews is, and Luke, too, also, um, attributes historicity to Noah. That he was, it's, it's extremely plausible. And if, if, if we were to take that information and still regard um, the story of Noah's flood as a fictitious um, narrative, that it was merely just, if we were to uh, ascribe our modern definition of myth to falsehood. Rather than the than, than the anthropological way of, of describing myth or the folklorist um, way of describing myth, then we would be accusing Peter, the author of Hebrews, and the Messiah as as liars. And I don't know about you, but I I wouldn't want to be in a boat where I call Jesus a liar. Because then, if if we were to call Jesus a liar and that would be true, then his, his deities in question are are. Um, and even just the writers of the new testament then are we have to you know, rethink of our um, we well,
0: mentioned Moses. Yeah. Right? Like Moses every pretty much every book in the new testament mentions a theme from the Exodus. Yeah. And if Moses didn't exist
1: I mean we it, lose our bible. Obviously there's some theological point that is being made by these references. And I think that plausibly Jesus is referencing a historical Noah. And then we'd also, we have to think that and also, you know, take that together with, okay, what is this genre? What is, what is the scientific data that we have nowadays? How do we reconcile all these together? And I, I think ultimately what's at stake. If we're trying to attribute uh, uh, Jesus as a liar, obviously, again, his deity is at stake. And then I, I believe the atonement's at stake because if Jesus was a liar, he wasn't perfect. So there's obviously this historical element related to the to the narratives of Genesis one through eleven, especially uh, uh, the Noah narrative. Mm. But there's also this this genre. Um, there's it's also this literature that was written in a time period with other contemporaneous literature being written that is really similar to it. Right, how Josephus. Do, how do we reconcile these, you know, these points? So. It's really interesting, and I think there could be dozens and dozens of books written for it. Um, way more than we can cover in a podcast. But
0: <laughs> yeah, It's like an embarrassment of riches.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like, I mean, when I, when I pick a topic to study in Scripture, and I'm like, oh man, this, this, won't, this won't take too long. And I'm like, wait, this like, one word has 3,000 books written on it, or something like that. Biblical studies is a very deep it's a very large iceberg that we see. eye. so, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean,
0: like, like when you're doing these word studies and um, like, it could be, it could be like overwhelming. Like if yeah. you're just going through a passage, just one little short passage, and you're like, what words do I actually focus on from the passage?
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and you know, I, I've talked about it before. I I I love using Logos Bible software because they kind of do the hard work for you. They, they curate all the yeah. words and all the resources and stuff. And what I noticed is they tend to pick words that are repeats. Like if, if this word appears often in the passage, like, okay, you need to know that it appears four different times in the passage. Um, a- and it, it it includes words that are rare, where like, this is the only time in the New Testament it's used. Because yeah. that's significant. And, and those words are like the most difficult because... You know, like, we can't compare, like, where scripture interprets scripture, we can't really do that because it appears this one time. Yeah. So where else in the language, in other documents, was this word used and how was it used? And I think that's where we get a lot of our commentary on that.
1: Yeah. Yeah.